this morning, we're going to begin a new sermon series. We finished James last week called This Is Us. Because this year, as the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and if you didn't know, you're in a Pentecostal church. So surprise, some of you might not know that. But as the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, we are walking into our centennial year. And please just ignore the easy worship logo. We can't figure out how to get it off of the screens this morning. So that has nothing to do with anything that we're doing. Just tell your brain to not focus on it. So we're walking into our centennial year, which means that we're approaching our 100th birthday. What a legacy, a hundred years. And when Lucas and I were away in Victoria for our general conference, the whole theme was, what do we do with a movement that wasn't supposed to last this long? The PAOC was kind of founded on the idea that Jesus was coming back soon, so we better get busy and get people saved. And now we're a hundred years in, and what do we do with a movement that wasn't supposed to last this, young, this long? But waiting with anticipation for what God is still to do, right? If Jesus is tarrying, there is more for us to do. And so we honor the legacy of a hundred years while also looking forward in anticipation of the more. What God is going to do as we move forward. And so in honor of both of those things, we want to take through the summer, to look at what we believe as a fellowship and in turn as a church. This is us. Who remembers the song, Jesus Loves Me? Some of you young ones are going to be like, no. Well, it was a children's church staple as I was growing up and many variations of it. My favorite happening to be the Flintstones version. Anybody heard that one? Yeah? such a good one but we're going to just sing it this morning if you know it join with me if you don't just listen to the words take them in jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so little ones to him belong they are weak but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And that song pretty much just sums up everything, doesn't it? Jesus loves me. I am now part of his family. He is my perfection. I get to trade all of my weakness, all of my falling short for his perfection. And why? Because the Bible tells me so. And so this morning, we're going to begin here. Because if this is false, and the Bible tells me so, is the reason for so much that we believe, then if this is not true, we might as well all just go home right now. 
let's pray, and then we're going to dive into the Bible tells me so. God, I thank you for your word. We know that you, Jesus, are the word made flesh. That this is not just a book we read, but this is your voice speaking to us beyond time. That it is still living and active. And so, Spirit of truth, Holy Spirit, we were promised that when you came, you would guide us into all truth, and you are here with us now. So would you guide us into all truth? And God, as always, we want only your voice to be heard this morning. So any words born out of my own flesh, God, would you just allow those to fly away with the wind? But your words, Holy Spirit, would those take root and would they produce good fruit in our lives? In your precious name, amen. So before we begin, I just want to tackle what is the Bible? I want to assume that everyone is on the same place in their faith journey. And if you are new to faith or you're just exploring faith, let's just take a quick minute and 30 second crash course of the Bible. You may have heard it called different names. Maybe scripture, maybe the Holy Bible, maybe God's word, or a variation of any one of those. And that is this book, the Bible. And while it is one book, it is also a compilation of 66 different books written by over 40 authors in a variety of literary styles spanning 1,600 years of writing. And it's divided for us into two main sections. So we see the Old Testament, which spans the creation of the world all the way to the prophets, which is right here, the silence of God. And then we have the New Testament, which begins with the arrival of Jesus, and it spans for us to the end of the world, as shown to John in a vision. The main thread through all of it really is the arrival in the story of Jesus. And we interpret every single text through the person of Jesus because all of it, all of this points to Jesus. And our statement of faith is what we're going to be going through today from our PAOC statement of faith, which is the statement of fundamental and essential truth, not all of them, just the ones that we say these are core, these are fundamental to what we believe and who we are. And we're going to use this as our main text this morning and go through it, so it will be a bit bigger as we bring it down into chunks. So here you go. All scripture is given by inspiration of God by which we understand the whole Bible to be inspired in the sense that holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the very words of Scripture. Divine inspiration extends equally and fully to all parts of the original writings. The whole Bible in the original is, therefore, without error, and as such is infallible, absolutely supreme, and sufficient in authority in all matters of faith and practice. The Bible does not simply contain the word of God, but is in reality the complete revelation and very word of God 
inspired by the Holy Spirit. Christian believers today receive spiritual illumination to enable them to understand the scriptures. But God does not grant new revelations that are contrary or additional to inspired biblical truth. God breathes. And I'm going to just go to the next slide or two from now. And here's that beginning piece a little bit bigger so you can read along. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, by which we understand the whole Bible to be inspired in the sense that holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the very words of scripture. Divine inspiration extends equally and fully to all parts of the original writing. Has anyone ever tried to write a book? Anyone? Or a blog? We have some bloggers. I have a really, really overactive imagination. It's problematic, but it's also very entertaining because I have the most vivid and wonderful dreams. They are like movies, complete with plot twists that actually make sense. And so in the morning, Lucas will, and I remember them, so Lucas will be like, hey, what did you dream about last night? And we'll have a good laugh about this crazy dream that I'll have had the night before. And so I thought, hey, you know what? I should start writing some children's books about all of the adventures that our hero and heroine would have while they were asleep. And my goal, part A, was that that'd be really fun and cool. But part B was that I could maybe inspire my little hero and heroine to go to sleep to have these adventures in their dreams. And I got about four pages in and then went, wow, this is a lot harder than it looks to write a book. Anybody have the gift of writing out there? No one's like, yes, me. Some people are like, eh, I'm not sure if I want to admit it. And some people do. I clearly did not. But I want you to think about this. 40 different people. How could 40 different people write a coherent book in a variety of literary styles to make historical accounts, match poems, match songs, match letters, and have none of them contradict each other and have all of them point to Jesus even when you don't know who Jesus is. That's astounding. The fact that this even works is astounding. And not only that, it was undisputed since 382 AD. That's a long time. And if you want to be astounded even more, all you have to do is look at statistics on the unreliability of eyewitness accounts. And then the fact that we have four from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels that line up so well together, it's an anomaly. This book in human ability and human wisdom should not be. It's not possible. Because it wasn't written out of human ability or human wisdom. And if we want further proof that, that this book was not the idea of 
good men and women, that this book was not just words popping into someone's head and going, hey, that would be a great idea for a book. It's the fact that as a whole, it is such a miracle. There's no way that this could happen unless every single word was inspired by a author, by one voice, the Holy Spirit, that in the process of writing and then in the process later on of deciding what writing went into this Bible that we now hold. If the presence of God wasn't there dictating and guiding and writing for those men, this would not be possible. Every single word, even the genealogies that we all skip over, every single one is there on purpose and for a purpose. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 we're going to be jumping around, so I put some bookmarks in to cheat and get there faster. So if you want to use your Bible app, today's a good day to do it. It's usually faster than flipping. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be righteously equipped for every good work. The Bible is here for our benefit. It was whispered into the minds of every author to accurately describe for us, for humanity, who God is, how he is and has been and will be at work throughout humanity so that we could see the life that we have in him, so that we could be clear about our purpose to love God and to love other people to God. Every word is here on purpose. Every story, every historical account, every song, every poem, every line to teach us, to discipline us, to guide us, to bring course correction on purpose. Why? So that we can reflect Jesus well to a world that needs him. Now, many years ago, I was at a training day for the curriculum that we actually use here, True. And back when I was doing family ministries, it was the curriculum we used and that day they were talking about the upper and lower stories of the bible that's why i have this wonderful timeline here and so a lower story would be adam and eve their capsule of their lives is a lower story or solomon the capsule of his life including what he wrote for us in the Bible would be a lower story. And they were saying that the danger of, of the Bible as a whole is that it is made up of a lot of lower stories. And what we can start to do is that we can start to pick our favorites. I personally really love David. I love the Psalms. I love the emotion of it. I love the story of his life and how God made him wait, that he waited with such integrity and character for his calling to come to pass in fruition. But what can happen when we, for, or we start to choose favorite lower stories is we can start to get fixated on David as the main character. And he never was. And we can start to ignore all of the other lower stories 
And more seriously is that we can forget the upper story. That passing through each one of you is one story of God in all of his kindness revealing himself to us through Abraham, through Esther, through the prophets, through the apostles. Each story is, is important. That's why it's in the Bible for us. But when we start to get too fixated on these secondary characters, we miss the main character waiting in the wings. We miss the buildup of anticipation over this timeline right here. As all of creation, as all of humanity leaned in and waited with groanings and anticipation for the something that was coming, for the freedom of the Messiah. And we can miss it. And we can miss the whisper of the Holy Spirit, the whisper that was present in those writings, the whisper that was present in the councils of Laodicea and Hippo and Carthage as they decided what would become the canon for us. And we can miss the whisper when we open up our Bibles in our own private times. We can miss the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, see me. See me, not the lower stories. And we can start to think that we are a lower story. And get wrapped, well, we are a lower story, but get wrapped up in it. And miss what God is doing through and overarching our life. The whisper of God revealing himself to us in his story. In 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by Holy Spirit. Things that the authors could not have understood or written, they did. Because the Holy Spirit was there to guide and dictate to them. And things that we could not possibly understand or interpret on our own, we can. Because we have Holy Spirit with us, guiding and whispering to our spirit. God breathed, God inspired one story. One long upper story where God in all of his graciousness intercepts the lives of ordinary people just like he still does with us. God breathed and without fault. The whole Bible in the original is therefore without error and as such is infallible, absolutely supreme, and sufficient in authority in all matters of faith and practice. I think if there is a stumbling block in what we believe about the Bible, it's right here. I mean, how can we really believe that there was a fish, not a whale, a fish, big enough to swallow a man, and then that fish acted like a taxi 
to bring him exactly where he needed to go and spit him on the shore. Or that a child could defeat a giant, and side note, do we even believe in giants, with one stone and a slingshot. I mean, why don't we just take some of the things in the Bible as true and chalk the others up to legend, lore, or gross exaggeration? And to be fair, some of the things that we read are very incredible, right? We read about the sun standing still. I've never seen that. About a whole city just collapsing because people marched around it. And it can be easy to accept some and dismiss others. I mean, we hear that all the time, right? Like, it's, it's a good book to, you know, hear how to live a good life, but I'm just not sure that I believe all of it's real. But here's the danger with that. In Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. So when it comes to the Bible, we actually don't have that choice. It's either all true or none of it is true. It's all real or all lies, but it's not anywhere in the middle. And I get that accepting that can be quite a journey. So let me give you a few starting points if you're sitting here going, I'm just not sure that I buy it. Well, historically, we know that many of our secondary characters, especially as we get to like the kings and on, as we get earlier, it's harder to find reliable records of much. We know that these people really lived. We have records outside of the Bible that agree that these people were real people in the time periods that the Bible says that they were in. Archaeologically, we have findings of beautiful mosaics that are depicting the exact same stories that the Bible says happened in places they shouldn't be, in non-Jewish places. We have findings of fountains and pools and different sites that we would say historically are there in the Bible that were covered up and have just started to be revealed and found for us. Archaeologically, the Bible lines up with what we're finding. And in the timeline of world events, the accounts of the Bible also hold up in tiny details that we often overlook, like the price of a slave. Matching other historical records of things that we just skip over. It doesn't really matter as we're reading it. But it points over and over and over again to the credibility of recorded history outside of the Bible. 
In fact, I'm not sure that there is a book that has more people studying it, both to aid in our understanding and to disprove it, than the Bible. And here we are, since 382 A.D., still printing it as true and valid and applicable to life today, the best-selling book of all time. And if it's not a book breathed by God without fault, I don't think that would be possible. It just defies logic. And we know that this Bible is going to continue to be true. That it's not going to be proven false. Again, because the Bible tells me so. But because Jesus did in Matthew 5, 17 to 18. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, I'm not here to say throw out the Torah. I'm not here to say all of those scrolls that you have with the prophets writing down what God told them, throw them out, now I'm here. I'm not doing that. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Until Jesus returns and we are standing there face to face with him in all of the fullness of who he is in heaven, we will continue to need this book. And until that day when we won't, because we'll be with him, we'll be able to just ask him the questions that we have. It will continue to be valid and true and for us. It's our true north. It's our standard and our filter for life, if it's true. I believe with all of my being that it is, but you need to decide for yourself. It's all true or none of it is. What do you believe? Because it's not just a book, it's the very words of God. The Bible does not simply contain the word of God, but is in re reality the complete revelation and very word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Christian believers today receive spiritual illumination to enable them to understand the scriptures. But God does not grant new revelations that are contrary or additional to inspired biblical truth. And this is crucial. You have everything that you need to understand the word of God because you have the Holy Spirit with you. In Proverbs 30, verses 5 to 6, one more. It says, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. In other words, if anyone tries to convince you that you need to read something else in order to understand the Bible, if they try to convince you that you need to supplement it in somehow, that is unbiblical and false. You have the Holy Spirit with you. You have the author with you. He is the one that whispers to us the truth 
of what this word says. So why do we stand up here and quote so many commentators and read so many books before we bring a sermon to you? Well, the the answer to that question is in those words. And if you've picked up on it, it's there a few times. The word original. Quick alertness test. Was the Bible written in English? No, it wasn't written in English. Now, have you ever watched a show that was not in English, but just had the subtitles on in the bottom? Right? And then every now and then there's like this short sentence, like, how are you? But the person talking like goes on for, whoops, sorry, John, I almost broke the mic, for like a whole minute. And you're like, um, what did you forget to write here? Well, it's because language doesn't always switch to different language smoothly, right? We know that. We live in a dual language country. The sentence structure of French and English is just vastly different. And so what we do when we stand up here before you, because we feel like we have a duty to unpack the word of God well, is that Lucas and I will go back through amazing software to the original languages, to Hebrew and Greek, because we are not fluent in Hebrew or Greek. Sorry. That should have been on your pastoral survey 20 months ago. And so we will go and try and understand what the original language is saying. Does it actually match what we have here? Is there a different word or words that capture the essence of this word well. What are people that are far smarter than us who have spent their entire life just studying the word of God? What did they say about it? And through lots of prayer and through a lot of listening to the Holy Spirit, we will put all of those things together, hopefully well, and present it to you because above all, we want to make sure that Whatever we are teaching from this platform is accurate and balanced and true to the word of God. Because it's a translated Bible. And just like those subtitles, sometimes things get lost in translation. The nuances aren't just there. And does that have us worried? No. Doesn't worry me at all. Just like in some of the African countries where they're saying, White as coconut instead of white as snow. Because nobody's seen snow. Does that make me worried? No. Because we still have the author with us. Whispering the truth of his word. Pointing us to him. I think 1 Corinthians 2. 12 to 14. It says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining a spiritual, or explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept 
the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The author, the whisper, helps us to understand. And that's why, have you ever had that? You can read the same passage of Scripture over and over and over and over, and you can find something new every time. Because this is alive and active because the Spirit of God is alive and active. It's not the same as reading a novel. It's not the same as reading a book. Those are words captured in a snapshot of a moment as soon as they're put on the page. The Word of God is not the same. It's why we keep saying that this really needs to be a part of our lives. Because how do we find true north without a compass? How do we discern real gold from fake without the right tools? How do you discern truth from deception without the word of God active and present in our lives? We can't. It's impossible. The Bible is for us. And over the next couple months, we're going to look at the rest of our soffit, our statement of fundamental and essential truths. What are the big things that we believe? The little things we can talk about. We have differences of opinion on. The big things we can't. They're fundamental. They're essential. We're all on the same page. And our text is going to be found here. Our reason's going to be because the Bible tells me so. And so before we even get to any of that, you have to ask yourself, do I believe it? Do I believe the God-breathed, without fault, words of a living and active God? Do I believe this? Because without that, the rest of it is going to be argumentative. Because we're going to be standing on what we know to be true. And I hope that you'll stand along with us. And we're going to just end this really, really practically. And I just want to run through some tips and tricks on how you should read your Bible. Okay? Can we just do that? This is how we're going to end. We've got some announcements, then we're going to let you go. So first, choose a Bible that you like. Now, that can sound weird, but I'll explain. The King James. Lucas is like, make sure you throw in there at the end that the King James is the only Bible to read. Um, and everyone will be great. I personally just can't follow along. I find it really, really hard to understand. And it's a fantastic translation. Don't get me wrong. I just don't work that way. My brain just doesn't. And so when I'm at home... The Bible of choice for my personal times with Jesus is the New Living Translation. And when I am going to preach, I choose the NIV, the New International Version. Lucas is the English Standard 
for both, for his devotional times and when he's going to come and bring the word to you. I also really love the message, but I will read that beside whatever I'm reading because the message is a paraphrase. It's not a translation. So it's taking a section of scripture and going, here's the big idea. Here's how it would fit with today's language. Here's how it could fit. Like they'll talk about policemen um, with some of the current social cultures and rewrap that and put it in to the places where it should be with um, the Bible. And so I love it because it's really, really interesting. Um, but I would caution to not read it alone. Read it with uh, your translations with the Bible. So choose your Bible. If you're not sure what kind of translation you like best, guess what? We keep saying it. There's the version app. Y-O-U, version, And it allows you to read multiple translations of the Bible all at the same time. With just a little click in the top right, you can switch out. And that way you could just go through a few. Be like, hey, you know what? I actually really like it in blank. So find your Bible. Um, and don't be afraid to use your app. Use your device. Use your tablet, your phone. But I do love, I do love my paper Bibles. I have multiple. I have this one with big margins that I can journal in. I have a coloring one because who doesn't love coloring? And so wherever you use, make sure that you mark it up Make that Bible messy. Make it lived in and loved well. This morning, Ashley and I were talking about one of my favorite speakers, Megan Marchman. And right now, she just bought a Bible that she's going through and marking it up for her son, Foster. And I thought, what an amazing gift, parents. To grab a Bible and read from cover to cover and make all of our notes in highlight all of the things that are standing out and when our kids get to the point of these beautiful graduates who are leaving some of you some of you are staying um to present that to them as they can go through and see how the holy spirit spoke to you for them but then we need to be diligent students of the word a lot of trauma to the church has been happened by people picking a verse out of the Bible and using that to justify a whole lot of sin. I don't know if anything breaks God's heart more than us using his words against one another. And so we need to be diligent students of the word. What was happening? Who was the intended audience of whatever section? we're talking to what was happening culturally we see that a lot in the letters in Paul's letters and the general letters what was happening outside of the letter that he's having to address and correct what's really being said here the nuances because we have a responsibility to know the word of God but to read it well because the Bible tells me so is a very hard argument to fight against. 
And so let's be good hearers of it. And when we're confused, seek the wisdom of others. Talk to people you trust. Hey, you know, I'm reading this, and the tone in which I'm reading it just doesn't seem anything like Jesus. He is always our filter. How do you read this? I remember in college, I had a really hard time reading the Gospels. I had a really hard time seeing myself as anything other than less than inferior, second rate. So every time I read the words of Jesus, I read them with condemnation. I read them with anger. Every time. And I remember being on the bedroom floor of my dorm room going, Jesus, what I'm reading of you, I don't like you. You actually seem like a really mean person. And I don't know if I can do it. Bible school. This is, <laughs> right? Maybe not the conversation you want to have while you're paying um, to be there to learn about Jesus. Maybe you should have had that before. And God started to take me on this journey of what his love looks like, of what his grace looks like. And he started to show me just what his face would have looked like as he was speaking the word, right? Because that's the hard thing with text, is we don't hear tone. We don't see body language. And so we can put any emotion we want to it. And so he started to show me the love in his eyes. He started to show me how soft and gentle he was with people. And all of a sudden, this change started to take place as I started to see the Bible and read it through who Jesus really was and not just my hurt dictating his character. Use a devotional if you're unsure about where to begin. Read a book. There are many of them. But can I just challenge you, if you get to a place where the devotional or the book seem iffy, drop the book, keep the Bible. Because that's the one that is infallible. If you have any questions, really, I'd love nothing more than to walk with you through your journey of discovering the Bible. I don't have all the answers, I can guarantee it. But I'd be happy to walk with you on a journey of finding them. And I know that we have amazing people here that would love to help you as well. I'm going to pray with you, and then I just have a couple announcements, and we're going to send you off. God, thank you for your word. I thank you that it really is alive and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Jesus, I thank you that you are the word made flesh that you came to fulfill everything that we had read about. And that when we are confused, all we have to do is look to the cross and your love and your mercy and your grace and your life. And everything else gets put into right. But would you help us to be hungry for your word? Would you help us to long for it 
just as when we wake up, our tummies rumble and our sleepiness demands coffee. God, would you allow our spirits to cry out for you? That we would not be able to go a day without spending time with you in your word. And God, the more that we get in there, would you help us to truly find it completely fulfilling? Because you are present in your word. You're the whisper in our interpretation. And so this morning, if there are people that need to be convinced that it's true, would you, in all of the gentleness that you do, walk with them to the journey of finding you, of trusting you, of trusting that your word is true. And help us as family to be patient, to be good brothers and sisters who come alongside arms around shoulders and share what we have discovered and what we have learned with all of the love that you spoke to others with. Help us have that for one another. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Well, we do have a few things coming up. And so the first of those is our training day, Saturday, June 23rd at 10 a.m.